Hello, I'm Kathy English, and I want to welcome you to Profiles in Stewardship, where my husband, Bill English, has conversations with business owners about how they integrate their role as business leaders with their faith in Jesus Christ. Today, Bill is talking with Ken Larson, the founder of Slumberland, a retail chain that has grown to 126 stores across 12 states. Ken is passionate about helping Christian business owners finish well, finish strong. Ken and Bill will also discuss common best practices and mistakes people make regarding family business succession. And you'll hear Ken say, success without succession is not success. I hope you'll find their conversation helpful and encouraging. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and learn from Ken Larson in this Profiles in Stewardship episode. Welcome. I am Bill English, the publisher here at Bible and Business. Bible and Business is my ministry, and it exists to help Christians in business integrate their leadership roles into their faith and to understand all that the Bible says about owning and leading in business. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Today's episode is part of a growing series that I have titled Profiles in Stewardship. These interviews are intended to illustrate what Christian stewardship looks like in the real world for Christian business owners and Christians who lead in business. So from time to time, I talk live with business leaders about how they integrate their leadership role into their Christian faith. These profiles in stewardship are unscripted. They're real, and the videos are unedited. I only do one take of these interviews, and they are hosted on the Bible and Business YouTube channel. Today, I'm talking with Ken Larson. Ken is the founder of Slumberland Furniture, a leading home furniture retailer with 126 stores in a 12-state area. Ken has been named the Retailer of the Year by the National Home Furnishing Association, as well as Entrepreneur of the Year for Minnesota and North Dakota. His board work includes uh, having been on the Health East uh, Healthcare Provider Board in St. Paul. Uh, he is a past chairman of the board of the Evangelical Free Church of America, as well as a past chairman of the board of the Evangelical Free Church Ministries and Missionaries Retirement Fund. Fund. He's a trustee for the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. And uh, by the way, that's also where I'm, I'm on Faith Radio there through the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And currently he serves on the board of Trans World Radio and the board of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Ken and Barbara uh, serve together as the boards of the Joshua Fund, founded by Joel Rosenberg, serving and blessing Israel with their neighboring countries. Ken is also the founder of 40 Winks, a nonprofit that gives new beds to kids that are sleeping on the floor. To date, 40 Winks has given more than 55,000 new beds to kids. Ken and his wife, Barbara, of 59 years, they have five adult children, 19 grandchildren, two great-grandchildren, and they have founded God's Ancient Library, a ministry that gives old and rare Torah scrolls to Bible schools and seminaries. In the last six years, Ken has gifted more than 100 Torahs to schools around the world. Ken and Barb love spending time with their family. They are active in their church, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. And they love traveling to see what God is doing all over the world. So Ken, welcome to Profiles in Stewardship. 
Oh, Bill, this is great to be with you uh, electronically. And I just want to thank you for the privilege of being on your program. Well, thank you so much. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping things for today. First of all, when I look to my left, I'm looking at another screen. It'll look like I'm looking at Ken, which is a great thing for me to do, right, to look at Ken. But uh, I'll, I'll be looking at a second screen if I need to reference notes or, or some scripture. Um, there's also chat services and the various um, um, platforms that we're restreaming on, and you can enter questions or comments in the chat services, and they will show up here at my end, and I will uh, be able to incorporate your questions and your comments into our interview live. Also, I want you to know that we've had some technical problems with, with Ken's uh, audio today. So you may see his lips move and then the audio come over a few seconds later. Um, it's just how it is today. And uh, we're just going to roll with the punches here. So let's start, Ken. I just want to I want to show this on screen. This is a ministry that you are leading. It's called Finish Well, Finish Strong. And it's really the it's really the core of your passion and your heart right now. You're offering it through Rock Point Church in Lake Elmo, uh, Minnesota, but it, people can attend online from anywhere in the world if they want to uh, be a part of this. Why don't we talk for a little bit about what Finish Well, Finish Strong is? And I, I think there's going to be a lot of ground we can till here. So Ken, I'll just throw this to you and say. Now, what is Finish Well, Finish Strong, and how would somebody participate? Great. Well, the theme, Finishing Well, Finishing Strong, became an important concept to me after I became aware of some research that was done by Robert Clinton. I think he was in Talbot Seminary out in California. And... He wanted to study and understand how biblical heroes, Old and New Testament, how did they finish? Did they finish well and finish strong or no? Of the 50 that he studied, and there was a grid that he put together that was consistent with every profile that they looked at and studied, uh, only one-third of our biblical heroes finished well. Isn't that And something? if you think of some of the, yeah, it's amazing, Bill. And it just, it troubled me. And then he, Professor Clinton, went on to say, I wonder what it looks like today. And so he went back and then selected 1,200 hmm. current Christian leaders in all sectors, everything from healthcare to large companies, to uh, entrepreneurs and teachers and everything. Out of the 1,200, and he used then a, a screen that was similar, but adjusted for the cultural differences between Bible, New Testament, Old Testament times, and today. Oddly enough, the number was the same. Only one third of our Christian leaders are finishing strong. And we all know of some of the iconic leaders that get a lot of publicity when there's an issue, whether it's moral, financial, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are a couple of the, the things that the professor identified. Uh, it is money. It is 
sex. It is power. It is ego and other culprits as well. The more I thought about that, I, I, I wanted to at least try to expose this concept of finishing strong, finishing well. And so I adjusted one of the ministries that you referred to at Rock Point Church, where I had for about 20 years done a monthly discussion around biblical principles in being a business leader or a ministry leader. And so we kind of moved away from that after many, many, many months of meetings and then started to study this concept of finishing well, finishing strong. So I've done a little teaching on it, but I've interviewed many people, including you, Bill. And again, thank you. Your, uh, your interview was very, very well received, not only in well, person, but, uh, but online. Yeah, again, thank you. You're welcome. So, I, I think it's fair to say that most people think of finishing well and finishing strong for people that are in their fourth quarter of life. Yeah. Or the second half of life. That's not the whole picture. Uh, we've had some young people speak and explain how they're trying to finish well and finish strong. And I think it's also fair to say that some of the people that have a blow up or a, a, an issue of not finishing well, finishing strong, we think of it as a one-time event. And Bill, it's not. It's a, an accumulation of small times of giving in to maybe not telling the truth or exaggerating or getting too close to major issues and over time if that continues uh, that will lead to what could be a major blow up a major failure so it's not that it doesn't happen as a one-time blow up it's it's accumulation of many things you know you and i talked about this uh one day when i was driving back from duluth i was in the car i don't know where you were <laughs> and uh, we were talking about the long-term effects of decisions throughout life and how the, uh, you know, you, you just mentioned it's, it's how we finish is really an accumulation of many decisions over many years. Some of our decisions in our 20s and 30s have tra trajectory power uh, to influence how we're going to finish in our 70s and 80s. Uh, and people, people tend to think, well, you know, business owners, especially, right. I, this is the, and this is the world you and I live in. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to monetize the value that I've created. I'm going to pay uncle Sam his, you know, 50% and I'm still going to have, you know, I don't know, five, 10 million, 15 million left over. And I'm, you know, going to do some volunteering and I'm going to go play golf and that's finishing well. Right. But as as um, as Henry Cloud would say in his book Integrity, uh, you're never going to have all the gifting you need to be in business, but you do need all the character traits to make that gifting effective. And if you don't have the character traits uh, to finish well in your old age, 
it's probably because you didn't develop them when you were younger and those decisions are still affecting you from 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's a great quote. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And to your point of what do you do when you leave the business, I'd like to make just a couple of comments. One, mm -hmm. uh, the first one is uh, people should prepare for that time because one of, the con one of the things that I have seen happen and talked with people, peers and other people that I know, uh, they need to be sure they know who they are without the title of owner or executive president or whatever title they had. Our identity in today's culture has too many links to the title that we have in life. And that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have given that advice to many people as they go through the, the transition of selling their business and believing that golfing and fishing is going to be fulfilling. Uh, no, not that not. we can't enjoy it, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, I've, you, you've probably met more than I have, but I've met owners who would have very vacuous lives if they didn't have the title owner and if they didn't have the money. Uh, one of the things that I, I'm working with is sib four siblings who aren't getting along. They're in their early 60s. They all own parts of the business. And uh, this idea of who are you apart from the business and apart from the money? Who are you? If, if God took away the business today and God took away all your money, who would you be? Exactly. That's usually a really hard question for people to answer. It is, but it's linked to something very important. And it's what I believe is it, it is linked to the concept of stewardship that each of us has responsibility for with the business that we own. It's easy to fall into the trap and say, well, I worked hard. I was smart, I did things well, and over time I, I, I accumulated, I did this and did that. The truth is for a believer, for a disciple of Jesus, our stewardship responsibilities carried forward mm -hmm. past the point of selling the business, retirement, mm -hmm. or some other event. We mm -hmm. have the responsibility to use those resources that would, in a way that would honor God. Show me where your money is, Christ said. And this is the Bill English paraphrase of Matthew 5 and 6. Show me where your money is, and I'll show you what you love, right? So right. tell me how you're spending your money and your wealth that I, God, now going back to Deuteronomy 8, have enabled you to create in the first place. Show me what you're doing with that, and I'll show you where your heart is. And... Um, I, I wish more Christian business owners understood that their the wealth that they have is not theirs. It belongs to God to be used to further his kingdom. Absolutely. I'll add one thing to what you just said. I believe if you can look at a person's calendar and their checkbook, mm. you will know an awful lot about how they make decisions and what is really important to them. Boy, that is good. That is good. 
Show me where you spend your time. Show me where you spend your money. I'll show you what's your priority in life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, I just want to say this, there, there are, there are business owners out there who are going to retire with a million and a half or 500,000, and that's all they're going to have. And there are some who are going to retire with 50, 70, hundred million, 200 million or more. That's right. It's not about the amount of money. It's always about your right. heart. It's about, do, do you want to take what God has entrusted to you and reproduce it? Yeah. And, you know, to the one he gave five talents, to the other he gave two. But both of them doubled it, and they got the same reward, more of the master's presence yes. in heaven, right? It's not necessarily about the amount of money. It's really about what's in, what's in the owner's heart. One other thing, and I think I, I can just maybe move laterally for just a minute. At the end of life, when God talks to each of us about our life, about how we use our business, about how we use the resources and the assets that we have, I believe mm -hmm. he's going to ask us some of the most difficult questions. And they're going to center around the motive of why we did things. I don't think God really cares what kind of house I live in, a car, the kind of car I drive, uh, all of those things. But I believe with everything, I believe that God will ask us the toughest question, why did I want to buy that? Why did I want to drive that? And why did I want to do the other things with the resources that God entrusted to me? The motive, yeah. I believe, is more important to God than the actual item. Oh, hands down. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. I would totally agree with you on that. So um, so in, in, in anticipation of this interview, right, I, I did a little, little word study, um, and I looked up the word finish throughout the entire Bible, NIV, and I looked at most of the verses mm. that contain the word finish. And uh, one of the things that was that just jumped out at me is that in, I, I'm going to say 95, 98% of the verses where the word finish occurs, there was always an action that followed it. In other words, there was a result of the finishing, yeah. right? So that when we talk about finish strong, finish well, we're really talking about the end of our lives. But there is a sense, there's, I, now I have two thoughts here, and I, I probably shouldn't have them. One is family, and one is eternity. And I'll, I'll start with the family one first. When we own family-run businesses, there is a sense in which the founder or whoever's family members are leading that business, there comes a point where they need to finish and pass it on to their, to their next uh, of kin. Either they're going to sell it or they're going to pass it on to the next generation or whatever. But there's always a what's next, right? What follows the finish? And back to your point, if, if you don't have an identity apart from the owner and the money, there is no what's next, right? That's right. That's right. So how does a guy or a gal who runs a successful business develop an identity apart from money and title so that there is a what's next um, for them when the business is either sold or passed on? My... <clears throat> 
my mind wants to take it that question in two different directions. So I may have to sure, answer it sure. in two different ways. Um, I, I want to give you a, a one-liner that I have used for myself and I've passed on with others at the point of transition. And it's most, most of us know the word succession. And sure. we all want to see succession in our business, our, if especially it's a family business, to be done well. I have been on boards where succession wasn't done well, and it's, and it's ugly. I have seen some that have gone ex extremely well. But the phrase that I like and I want to place on me as I go through some of those transitions is success is not success without succession. Success without succession is not success. I will phrase it back that way, which means sure. I own, I own most of the, the, the actual process of succession. Too many times the one leaving wants to reach back and control too much of what's happening. Too many times when the one leaving is second guessing the person that's now charged with being the president, CEO, or whatever the top position is. And it's deadly, it's absolutely deadly. So as the person goes through that transition, I believe they're more responsible mm -hmm. than the actual person that has the new position. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to move back to the finishing strong and, and and tell you a story uh, about my my life um, that really helped. Our company ended up being the sponsor of a a phenomenal female Nordic skier from Minnesota. Her name was mm -hmm. Jessie Diggins. Uh, as a freshman, she won the state meet by almost a minute in a twenty minute race. Wow! She went on to. Yeah, she went on to be part of the U.S. ski team. And the U.S. ski team really worked with her parents to make sure that she trained properly, not too fast, but they didn't want her to get her body blown out too quickly. Uh, because in Nordic skiing, females do not mature until late 20s, early 30s. Whereas the really? gymnast okay. females, yeah, they... Their, their competitive years are age 15, 16. You see Olympic winners that are 15 years old. Yeah. Not so. So um, she ended up being on the Olympic team uh, and, and skied in Sochi, Russia. She did very well. She didn't medal, but she set records for the U.S. women's team in her first year at the Olympics. She was that, that good. As her sponsor, we said to her, uh, because we, we've known her, her parents, uh, her father especially, uh, has been an executive in our company. So we've known her since she was a baby. But as a, as a member of the U.S. ski team, uh, we would meet with her every year and talk with her about different issues. Near the end, before she won her first medal, I asked her a question that it really changed the way I looked at uh, finishing. 
And it was this. I said to her, Jesse, as I have been to the Olympics and watched you and certainly watched many on the TV mm -hmm. screen and even in person, I see you and others that have really put everything into the race fall over at the end and lay there. And I said, I may insult you. I hope I don't. But is it because you're just out of breath? Is it because it feels good after getting your body totally heated up to be on a cool surface? And instead of responding by calling me Ken, she said firmly, Mr. Larson, if I finish a race with anything left, I've had a bad race. Wow. Wow. And that took me back because I'm, I'm not one of those athletes, but I, I did do a marathon. I had something left. I've done other things in outdoor activity, and I've never been at a point where I didn't have anything left. But I also then had to ask myself the question about finishing. Am I really committed to finishing my life with nothing left? And frankly, I changed my life mission statement as a result of that. Did you really? And I did. I will give you my life mission statement. My, my life mission statement is I am a committed and growing disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am all in mm -hmm. being poured out until nothing's left. And I'm finished. Lord, Help me finish strong. So here I am in my 70s hearing that statement. And I had to admit to myself, I didn't fully understand finishing. But that example, her life example, did it. So when she actually was the first, she was the first woman USA Olympian to ever medal in the Olympics and she won a gold medal. She was interviewed following the win and it was a close finish. I mean, it was literally less than a yard. Um, interviewed her and she admitted that as she approached the finish line, that she was trying to time it to where there was nothing left. She actually blacked out. And she said in the interview, I knew I was gonna get a medal. I knew I would win one but I didn't know if it was bronze, silver, or gold. There was nothing left when she won that medal. Wow. You know what strikes me about that story, Ken, and about your life mission statement is that finishing strong, we finish the strongest at the very point when we are completely poured out and we're completely the weakest. I'm not trying to compare anyone to the Apostle Paul. No one can be compared to that. But if you go to Philippians and read the last account, he's in the jail near right. death. And he says he is like a drink, drink or offering being poured out. And just to envision an upside glass as it drips out, as it drips out until there literally is nothing left. That was the, yeah. that was the Apostle Paul. He finished strong. There was nothing left. Hmm. That's really challenging because we in America are taught to finish with a lot. 
always have make, make sure you have plenty of money in the bank. You know, you make sure that you've got all these things around you to provide you comfort and convenience. And yet to really finish strong means we give ourselves a hundred percent to the Lord. And we are, we are that drink offering that's, that's being poured out. And we may finish with nothing left physically, nothing left mentally, maybe nothing left financially, but we were completely poured out. That's right. That's the challenge. That is the challenge. Don't hear me even pretending that I that I I believe I'm an example of it. I don't I don't want that. I I, I want to, the challenge for me, and it really is a personal issue with God. I care about that. I remind mm -hmm. myself daily that that's what my life is all about. So we are talking with Ken Larson, who is the founder of the Slumberland Furniture Store. Uh, it's a leading home furniture retailer. I'm thinking in the upper Midwest, is that right? The 12 states are kind of in the Midwest area? Yes. yes. That's right. Uh, 126 stores in a, in a 12 state area. And uh, we're talking today about Ken's um, uh, mission of finishing strong and finishing well. You can actually participate in Ken's uh, ministry. He holds monthly groups at the Rock Point Church in Lake Elmo, Minnesota, um, but they also broadcast uh, live. Uh, I believe they use Zoom, but whatever platform they use, you just go to rockpoint.church forward slash leadership, and you'll be able to participate and uh, and be a part of, of what Ken is doing there on a monthly basis. And so it's it's really about finishing strong, finishing well. That's what we're talking about today. I want to combine a couple of things here. Uh, I want I want to show you when I when I wrote my book on a Christian theology of business ownership, uh, what I noticed was that um, or how I started the book anyways, the very first section uh, was this reigning with Christ. And I was trying to say that we need to connect how we live our lives as business owners with what we'll be doing in eternity. Mm -hmm. And as, as we pour ourselves out here, you know, and I'm really thinking of, of Ephesians 2.10 here, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Our whole lives, in a sense, are a preparation for eternity how we respond to God, how we walk closely with him, the, the things that he builds into us, he's going to use in eternity. And I don't know how, but I, I, I believe he's going to use those. So we finish our lives. We pour ourselves out like the, like the gold medalist that, that, you, that you described. And the what's next is we're going to reign with Christ in eternity. Isn't that really something? Oh, it's great. Yeah. What could be better than that? What could be better than that? I love it. So tell us a little bit about, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping on your Finish Strong, Finish Well uh, monthly meetings. Tell people about uh, uh, how they can participate, what you try to accomplish in those meetings, so forth and so on. Just let's let's rummage there for a few minutes. Great. Yeah. Um, like we interviewed you, we gave you... Uh, some opening questions, and you responded beautifully about how you see finishing strong 
and what it means to you personally and your understanding of it. Uh, we have used a broad range of people to talk on this subject. Uh, we have a very interesting one coming up in March as an example. We have an artist who's a sculptor who has created beautiful works of art, all with a Christian theme. And we're going to be doing it Zoom because he's going to be in essentially his art display area and looking at images, many of them biblical uh, people and concepts, and he will you will see and hear what it means. But this guy is also in the, the real estate business. He's, he's a very successful entrepreneur, and he's going to combine not only what it is to be an artist to finish strong, how he sees finishing strong in business as well. As you know, we've had a wide variety. We had, uh, we had someone that was in his 30s who was able to escape Ukraine as a Russian passport holder and God allowed him to get through all the checkpoints where many of those people that tried were killed. And his wow. view of finishing strong was, was, was amazing. And some of these you can go back and watch the, uh, we had a, uh, a, 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 a female physician, an internist that in the height of COVID, the pressure to go along with what the medical people experts were saying was true she was she was varying some of her advice to patients and suggesting alternative treatments and the the, the large medical group came to her and said you can't do that and she said but i believe it's appropriate she ultimately resigned and said i can't i can't do something that i don't believe in Right. It's another case of finishing strong in the middle of your career. That took yeah. real courage. I wonder, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad that might be watching, but uh, this whole COVID thing made, made some people deny the Hippocratic Oath that they took as doctors to always mm -hmm. do the right thing for the patient. And we right. didn't do that as a country. We did not. So I don't want to get too political there, but that's a sample of some of the people that we've uh, that we've had and that we've uh, that we've used. Yeah, and you know what's on. sad? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm just going to say uh, you can go down the list of those that you can click on and listen to, and hopefully they'll click on yours too and hear what you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I. Uh... I consider myself like the least, you know, of, of Christians in business. I have, I'm just a neophyte can I'm trying to make my way in the world, so to speak. In many see, ways, I'm Bill, just a teenager. So Bill, that's what, that's what makes you attractive. And I mean that, uh, when, when people want to be the expert that have all the answers, uh, that's not who I want to interview. I, I, I'm attracted to humility. I'm attracted to people that love other people, and you qualify for that. Well, thank you very much. I, I, um, I'm attracted to the same thing. I have a concern about 
um, about owning a business and what it means to be a business owner or a business leader from the scriptures. And, um, but how did it really work in the real world? How does Christian stewardship work when the rubber hits the road? That's why I do these interviews is because I want to find out how that works. And uh, I think over time, themes will start to develop out of these interviews, and we'll be able to pass those on to MBA programs and to the CBMCs and the C12s of the world. And um, it's, it's real interesting. I just read an Inc. 500 um, or an Inc. article about what 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 what's the one what's the characteristic that makes ceos the most effective and of course i serve as a ceo and you did for many years and i'm running a, a healthcare company right now and i was well what is it okay so i look in it and you know what the one thing they found that made ceos head and shoulders if you had this one quality above any other quality what was it that made you effective and it was reliable dependability people could count on you to be consistent day in day out week in week out month in month out they knew what to expect and i and i'm looking at that and i'm going well i'm not always reliable i don't always answer my emails in a timely fashion i don't always answer my voicemails well and you know and and sometimes i'm can kind of be a moving target with my staff and but reliable dependability i Anyways, I'm off on a tangent here, Ken. I'm sorry. So, no, I, um, you're identifying something though. Can can I link that to something else? Just while we're oh sure before you move away from that. Yeah, um, I I see one of the uh, challenges uh, of being a CEO that is I, I believe they are responsible to make sure that there is a healthy culture within the organization. Yes. And I believe that's part of the reliability that you're referring to. And just to take a step back, I, I'm convinced that the CEO must model embracing and following the mission of the entity that they're the CEO of. And if they show up and they're not mm -hmm. comfortable with, this, with the mission, I think they they have to either negotiate the ability to change it or not take the position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The second part of that is there should be a set of core values that they mm -hmm. can embrace and live out. And again, that's the dependable the dependability that I think you're referring to. So uh, would it make sense for me to share our core values uh, that that I I try to live by, and we we worked at, on uh, at Slumberland? Company. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we had five, and one was honesty and integrity in all things. And Bill, w without without trying to say that that's the same as or part of the dependability piece that you were talking about. People that that live with integrity in all things are dependable. People that mm -hmm. live with that kind of commitment will be known as that. So, and that's not a negotiable thing. I, I, I always cringe when I hear something like, I'm trying to be 
I'm trying to be a man of integrity. Oh. I know, but I've heard it and I get really nervous. You either are <laughs> or you're not. And there's not much room between the are, you are or you're not. So that's and the you first can really one. only get there. You can really only get there by Christ transforming you from the inside out. Yes, and I should have. I made a mistake, so forgive me for that. I tried to write a set of biblical core values without using Christian jargon, because okay. we have people of all kinds. You, you when you get to hundreds or a thousand number of people, you're not going to have a group of people that all have the same orientation to life. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I didn't want to, I did, I chose not to use Christian jargon, but honesty, integrity, and everything, that's, that's a biblical value. It is. It is. Yeah. We're supposed to do that. The second one is we want to treat everyone with love, dignity, and respect. And the everyone is are the other associates that we work with, the customers that we have, and the people that serve us. And frankly, Bill, I have been part of and have observed ministries and people in ministry that don't do that. It's kind of sad. It's an ego issue. And it's sad. But people that are believers end up with reputations when they don't do that, that they shouldn't have. We should not be known as people that don't treat people with love. And I use the word in the mission statement, love, dignity, and respect. Mm -hmm. Most people in life are not treated that way. I, I became convinced listening to people that would talk candidly about their life that they didn't experience it at home. They did at work. Now, isn't that an interesting twist? You know, love, I was just dignity, thinking that... I was just thinking as as you were going over that, Ken, that there's two areas where we don't see this played out. And one is in the home, like you just mentioned. I'm a high school basketball official. I can tell you that I go to these Christian schools sometimes and officiate these JV and varsity games. And this love, dignity, and respect thing goes out the window from the coaches and the fans. They, It's like right. once you're at a sporting event, you can disrespect the official all you want. And uh, anyways, and not only the not only the students and the fans, but how about the parents? Yeah, yeah. They they do not display or become good models of how you treat people like you. Sure. Yeah. So, again, I think that that describes those three words: how Jesus treated everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody. He was always treating people with love, dignity, and respect. So. I believe that's a biblical mandate. It is. Uh, item three is a spirit of excellence and doing work the right way with excellence the first time you do it. Why shouldn't we be examples as, as followers of Jesus of excellence? Yeah. I believe that's also a biblical value. The third one was, it, these are code words for, for, uh, for, for sharing our resources. But our third one was we want to give to worthy causes and uh, both with, both with uh, money and, and uh, resources. 
And so we encourage people to be part of, of um, showing up at the Union Gospel Mission and serving meals, doing sure. Meals on Wheels, seniors and so forth on the sure. clock if, you know, if, if it needed to be. But giving is very important and we wanted mm -hmm. to share that. And the last core value, that last one of giving is obviously a biblical value. Yes. And the last one was uh, a, a spirit of earning a profit on the investment that's been made so that we can provide security for our, our people, our employees. And what's interesting about that, ultimately, we have been doing this for a number of years, and I, I, I thought, you know, I think the priority that I have is right, and I didn't realize it at the time, but mm -hmm. I believe if you forced rank those five, of honesty and integrity, treating people well, excellence, mm -hmm. giving, and profit. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting to put profit as the least important of the core values? It would. You may want to think But about without that. profits, you can't yeah. do the other four. You can't do anything. However, I believe if you work with excellence and you, you are a, a, a a group of people with honesty and integrity, and you treat people well, that kind of organization is generally gonna do just fine. Yeah. What I don't like is when the profit is the first and highest. And Bill, I have seen mission statements that say, we exist, we exist to earn a, a, a return on investment for our shareholders. What's that movie? Greed is good. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> was that Gordon Gecko or I forget the characters. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Um, totally yeah. Good. You know, I, and profits are a good thing. They're a social good. They're spiritual yeah. good. All mm -hmm. ministry is funded by profitable business. Ultimately, That's ultimately right. all ministry is funded by profitable business, but you're right. If, if you, if you get the other four, well, the profits will come. And um, yeah, and the philanthropy, you can't do philanthropy without profits either. So yeah. That's right, that's right. Well, we just got a few minutes left here, Ken. I'm gonna ask you, um, kind of be a little bit introspective here. This is the last question that you and I kind of looked at together in our, in our interview prep time. Looking back, because you're in, I'm going to say you're early to mid seventies right now, and you don't have to tell me All right, how old you are, but uh, <laughs> looking back, what advice would you give to Ken Larson when he was 40 years old? Maybe the list doesn't, maybe the list is too long to try to give you more than uh, <laughs> uh, just, just, just pick one or two. All right. <laughs> I, I will I will make one, and this is going to sound like a contradiction to what I just said with core values. So I'll, I'll need to explain it a little bit. Okay. I believe as I embraced those core values, I believe I got trapped at times by recognizing as we'd hire someone new or as we gave a person more responsibility, I became comfortable mm -hmm. that they weren't doing it well. And 
I tried very hard to help. I tried very hard to help them improve. I tried very hard. Most of the time I waited too long to make a change. Mm. I think we know quicker rather than later if someone's not doing well. And here's the point that I really want to make. I believe we do the person a service and are showing them respect and love by getting them out of a position that they're not doing well and moving them on. It's counterintuitive. It is. Mm -hmm. But I believe we help the person and we help the organization. We should not be known as an organization or a ministry that allows poor work mm -hmm. or substandard management or leadership to go unnoticed and uncorrected. You know, I, I'm going to say it was over 10 years ago now, maybe 15. I read a book called Fire Someone Today. That's the title of the I've book. Read I read that book. Have you? The, have. The, uh, the one takeaway I had from that book was that um, the first time you think that maybe this person needs to be fired is when you need to let them go. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> you don't. And look, I'm, I'm like you. I am long suffering with, with, with now with with certain people when it's when it comes to performance if it's ethics i have been known to fire somebody within 10 minutes over something that's unethical i just i don't have a problem with that but if it's performance i want to coach them i want to bring them along i want to i want to i want them to be all that they can be because that's genuinely what's in my heart but yeah um we sometimes we we do hang on to people too long you're right that's right you're right well, we have been talking today with Ken Larson, who is the founder of Slumberland Furniture. And right now his passion is finishing strong, finish well, or finish well, finish strong. It's a ministry that he is holding on a monthly basis through Rock Point Church in Lake Elmo, Minnesota. You can uh, learn more about his ministry just by going to this uh URL rockpoint.church so forward slash leadership. And um, I'm hoping that that, uh, oh, we just lost Ken. Anyways, let me, let me, oh, his phone's going off. So um, I just want, I just want to point you to his ministry and ask that you would take a look at it. If you are even in your twenties or thirties, some of the decisions that you're going to make in life will affect how well you finish at the end and uh, whether the end is in your 40s or your 70s or your 80s uh, finishing strong and finishing well is is really um, a big deal i'd also invite you to head over to bibleandbusiness.com and uh, take a look at a couple of books that i've published i have a third one coming out here in another couple months uh, but biblical wisdom for business leaders is a book that and the Christian theology of business ownership. Both of these you can buy at Amazon or most other online bookstores, either in Kindle, paperback, or hardback. I would uh, encourage you to do that. Ken, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been a treat to have you on air, and I have enjoyed uh, getting to know you. You're you're a high quality guy, and I'm blessed to know you. Thank you. I just want to comment to your followers that I, 
have recently read the book you wrote on the Proverbs and it's outstanding. You present some challenging uh, thoughts and ideas that business people and leaders need to wrestle with. And it's outstanding. I've, I've given more than six or eight copies away and I'm getting excellent comments uh, from all of them. But Bill, thank you for the privilege of, of doing this. I'm, I'm grateful and it, it's been fun to uh, just to work together today in the last hour. Been great. Yeah, it has been. So listen, uh, as we wrap up today, I want to invite you all to join me next. Uh, believe it or not, I will be uh, with Kirby Spike, who is a mutual friend, friend of both Ken and I. Uh, Kirby uh, spent his uh, uh, career at 3M in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're going to talk about how Christians manage themselves when they work for difficult bosses, especially bosses who are uh, maybe ungodly, and you're a Christian and you need to live out your faith in, in the work workforce. So uh, that's what Ken, that's what uh, Kirby and I are going to talk about next week. And I uh, just want to thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill English, the publisher here at Bible and Business, and I hope that you go out and make it a great day. Take care. Thank you for joining Ken and Bill today. I hope you found their conversation helpful as you grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to speak with Bill, just email him at bill at bibleandbusiness.com. I know he would enjoy connecting with you and thinking through some of your most difficult situations. Bill and I hope you'll join us again for another Bible and Business Profiles in Stewardship podcast. So until then, may God richly bless you as you serve him today. Take care.